Hello everyone, this is Saqib. Uh, it's time to do another episode of Tennis with an Accent. And the guest today is uh, Andrew Burton, who's become a good friend of the podcast. He's been supporting this podcast uh, whenever we request, he has obliged. And this is again one of those days. Uh, welcome, Andrew. Hi there, Saqib. Uh, so yeah, we are a week away from Roland Garros, uh, the second major of the year and the clay court pinnacle. But a lot of tennis has been played since uh, Houston, Texas and Monte Carlo, Barcelona and so on. And uh, today, Rafa Nadal was crowned uh, the winner again in Rome, uh, but he did not get it in, in, uh, in the usual Nadal manner. He wasn't as emphatic. Uh, he had to work for it. There was some sort of uh, rain, rain interve- inter- intervention. Sasha Zverev uh, fans, you know, think that could have ruined his momentum. Novak Djokovic was back playing some of his bet- best tennis, uh, reminiscing of uh, the old Djokovic, uh, not quite there yet. We can talk about that. Then we can talk about Dominic Team, how he's had now two successive losses after conquering Nadal in Madrid and some of the major absentees. And, of course, we can also take stock, uh, a check on how the various generations are doing uh, when this clay season is uh, reaching its pinnacle. So where do you want to start from? Well, let's start today in, uh, in Rome. Um, an unusual match, I think. Um, it looked at one stage as if Nadal was going to wipe the floor with his younger opponent. And then um, the next bit of wiping that got done was wiping the courts because the match turned upside down. Zverev took the second set of the same score uh, that Nadal had taken the first set, a breadstick, and was leading by a break when the rain came. They came back onto court briefly, left for another rain delay, and the two players came back onto court with Zverev holding a break lead and about to serve. Four games later, we were done and dusted. Nadal had won all four games, and and with that, basically, the, the clay season Masters 1000 rubber match, because going into... Uh, the final, uh, Nadal had won Monte Carlo, Zverev had won Madrid, so they were tied one each. So the winner of the match would have been, would have had bragging rights, at least on, on Masters tournaments, though I'm not sure if it would have upset the, the odds makers if Zverev had prevailed. Yeah, true. This match also had another theme coming in. Usually whenever Rafa Nadal is playing, there's always talk of some sort of a clay court streak. And today it was a young German, Sasha Zverev, who was riding, what, a 14-match streak uh, since the beginning of Munich and then Madrid. And uh, Nadal, on the other hand, had suffered his first clay court season defeat last week to the Austrian Dominic team. So a lot of uh, variables that usually are placed in Nadal's corner weren't there today. But then uh, uh, let's talk about his game. Uh, I know uh, he's been the talking uh, point of the season. He has a lot of gears on the surface. He probably didn't have to play his best He's that good uh, in, in Barcelona and uh, even in Monte Carlo. He wasn't challenged, but that's, you know, that's part of his greatness, how, you know, how his game measures up against the field, that he doesn't have to sometimes play his best. But then uh, this tournament, he had a tough match against Fonini, at least for a set. Uh, Fonini delighted the local crowds. And then uh, Sasha Zverev, who was coming in, playing a lot of late-night matches, and a lot of people think he could be fatigued. He did turn uh, the second set into and, and the match into a contest. And then uh, what, where does leave Nadal's aura of in- invincibility? He's still probably the heavy favorite going into Roland Garros, but what have we learned uh, with some of these uh, matches, starting with a team loss in Madrid and then Fonini stepping up for a set and now today is Zverev stepping up for a set and even leading in the deciding set with a break till the rains came? 
Well, also, let's not forget that uh, Djokovic uh, played the semi-final. Um, also, you know, had a, a fairly good match. Uh, we'll come on to Djokovic's form later on, but they turned round at the first changeover in a first set tie break three all. So you could you could well see that set going either way. Um, the the second set was clearly Nadal's. He got an early break and and broke to win it at the end. Um, so I think that I haven't read Nadal's press conference yet, but I would imagine he's somewhat chiding journalists who occasionally tell him that all he needs to do is to show up on on clay and and he, he'll walk off with the title that Nadal feels like he has to play his best to be able to uh, to win titles. And if he doesn't play his best and someone plays up a level, then, yes, he's potentially vulnerable. The thing is that he has, on the order of 100 wins and two losses in five-set matches, so going into a best-of-five tournament in Roland Garros, you look around and say, assuming that Nadal is able, first of all, assuming that he's fully fit, there's no reason to think that he isn't, assuming that um, he is able to play his way into form in the tournament, no reason to think that he can't, it will take a very big effort to beat him. Um but potentially teams showed one way to do it, which is A, catch Nadal on an off day, and B, um, hit very heavy, try and open up the court, and take the chances that are offered. So I, I honestly doubt that um, Nadal or his camp or some of the potential challengers think that, that Nadal can't be beaten, but you know, once again, he he has to go into Roland Garros, having won three tournaments. Um, you know, having overcome some wobbles, he's 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 got to be uh, just a odds-on favourite. I uh, know he is, and of course, uh, we have to see when the draw comes out next week. Where some of these, uh, when you say there's only handful, not even a handful of people who can stay with him, even when Nadal's struggling, because Sasha Zverev is one. Today he showed at least for a set and a half the template. That you know he can hit big and you know he moves very well for his size and he can stay uh, with Nadal and of course the serve is a factor. Dominic team has beaten Nadal twice in the European clay swing, uh, you know, dating back to last year in Rome and now this year in Madrid. So he is still uh, in a lot of people's mind the guy who's pretty much fit himself as a bull and he can go the distance. His shot making sometimes can be very ambitious and that's probably the topic uh, for another day. But I think his name is there. And then uh, who else are you going to throw in there if Nadal even has to play below average and there's no uh, physical, you know, uh, there's no physical fitness issues? There's not many people even who can take advantage of the scenario besides the two uh, next-gen stars I mentioned. Well, I don't think if he's approaching full fitness and if he gains some confidence... I would absolutely not count Djokovic out from potentially being able to cause an upset. It would it would surprise me at this stage 
to see Djokovic win all seven matches in Paris. That would surprise me. Um, but he's done it before and he knows how to play his way to the later stages of Grand Slam tournaments. So I think you have to have him in the conversation. I think that there's there's a greater likelihood, and we have to wait until the draw comes out, potentially of Djokovic and Nadal meeting earlier in the tournament and potentially Novak causing an upset then than the two of them being placed on on opposite sides and both making their way through to a final and and Novak winning that one. Although if Novak gets to the final, then again, he knows how to win Grand Slam finals. Beyond that, you're you're really talking about a uh, a Robin Sodling situation. Uh, so Sodling in 2009 was not expected to contest. Um, had Magnus Norman coaching him, uh, had come off a 6-1-6-1 defeat to Nadal in one of the Masters tournaments. And then, as everyone knows, upset Nadal, went on to play in the final against Federer. Then the next year, beat Federer in a quarterfinal and went on to make his second Roland Garros final in succession, this time losing to Nadal. So anytime that you, you step onto the tennis court against a fit opponent, there's a chance that they'll beat you. But when you're looking at potential contenders for, for the title, you know, it's really hard to go below four or five players. If there is a surprise and Nadal loses in an early round, then you could start to see players like David Goffin, perhaps, or Juan Martín del Potro, if fit, potentially uh, competing towards the end of the second week. But this is, it, it's, it's really quite hard to look beyond the fingers of one hand, I think. No, that's some really good names you took in. I think it's, it's a valid dis, uh, argument that, uh, you know, there's only a handful of people who can even play the sort of link kind of style and challenge Nadal. And uh, I did not mean to omit Novak Djokovic from the list. He definitely uh, looms large in the in the lower section of the seeds. Uh, now let's uh, switch gears to Novak Djokovic. He has been slowly building up and, and actually has built up a lot since his loss to Miami, which I was there. Uh, in person to see him lose to Benoit Paire, his body language and uh, and and his and demeanor uh, is is almost back to you know the Djokovic of old. Uh, the game is still quite away, but he's shown glimpses in beating Kenny Shikori in you know two back-to-back weeks, and now this week was really a positive week. Uh, so when we talk Djokovic, is it uh, do you think he has enough in the tank uh, at this stage? to command like a string of five set wins or he's better off playing Nadal say as early as third round or the round of 16 if he has to do that upset? Yeah, I think I think on potential seeding, we're expecting Djokovic to be somewhere in the 17 to 24 range of seeds, which would mean that he he wouldn't be able to meet Nadal until the round of 16 or, or, or after that. You know, it, we'll wait until the draw comes out. I think that there's a there's a genuine widespread desire uh, uh, across the tennis community 
to see Djokovic come back and compete at a top level again. And I would expect the same to be true of Andy Murray when he comes back, um, although there's a, a few rooms that he's going to struggle to make it uh, back in time for Wimbledon. You know, but you've you, you've got two former number ones who are going to be trying to make their way back from long layoffs. I think there so there is a genuine desire to see them do well. One thing that um, it seems to me at this stage is I think we've got to be a bit careful from judging on one or two results or one or two matches what the player's level actually is. Um, there, there were a lot of people I saw yesterday on Twitter and in match reports really talking up the quality of the Nadal Djokovic match. I thought it was a good match, but, you know, I go back two or three years to when Djokovic was near his, his peak or at his peak and, you know, really made Nadal worried facing him on clay and is, is probably the only person who's really been able to consistently do that. I think that there's a few players that Nadal's had difficulty handling, but you, you could tell he just did not want to come up against Djokovic. And yesterday I thought that, you know, they played a competitive first set, but Nadal was never behind. And then, as I said, in the second set, as often happens, Nadal settled in and took the second set fairly comfortably. So I can see, I can absolutely see Djokovic um, by the end of the year, you know, being back to his best or near his best. I kind of have a sense that Roland Garris may be a tournament or two too early for him. Uh, currently, in terms of understanding where his best level is, because at the moment it seems like there's a lot of things in flux in his game and he, he he's fitting the pieces back together again. I'm not sure that he has fitted the pieces back together. No, I think some great points. I, I agree myself. I think, uh, especially in this kind of scenario, you are not only playing just Nadal or like the top men, you're playing the field. And a lot of times, uh, they, like, how do I say it respectfully? Nadal and Djokovic, when you are facing each other, like that kind of opposition, there's a lot of uh, there's loads of respect. There's a lot of motivation to do well. So that match will make Novak Djokovic get up to the levels that he may not possess right now in his comeback. But that doesn't serve, in my opinion, a true test like how he's going to go through against the field. He's shown tremendous improvement, but he's definitely still not close to the Djokovic of all. So when he starts going through the field, because a year and a half ago, he was dismissing people. I mean, people, players were down 4-1, 4-0. That was the norm. So once we start seeing that against the Tyro Daniels or the Jeremy Shardis or, you know, the lower-ranked men, then we'll be kind of confirmed that not the Djokovic train is back on track. I think the same applies to Federer. If Djokovic plays Federer, I think he would be, his eyes would light up and he would rise to the challenge. But the problem in these comebacks is, will he keep the seeding date and meet Federer or meet Nadal consistently once he's doing it? I think that itself will be the first step towards the comeback. That's how I see it. Well, not only that, uh, but I think that one thing we haven't seen Djokovic do yet, because this is the first time that he's gotten to the semifinals, uh, you know, since the, the start of this year. 
What we haven't seen him do is, is to put a long string of results back to back. So this time he he won three matches, um, played Nishikori and, and, and won the first uh, deciding set match that he played. So, you know, that's four, four wins and then came up against Nadal. So five matches in the tournament. Now he's going to have a week off and, and play in Roland Garros. But remember, the, the, the Djokovic of old was making finals pretty much in all of the tournaments that he was playing in for a while. He, he might have the occasional off tournament. But one of the things that I'm waiting to see is how much he trusts his body and how much he, he's able to, to keep in terms of physical reserves and mental reserves and how much his, his body heals and recovers on the back of, of multiple long matches. So getting back to his top level isn't just for, for one tournament at a time. It, it's, it's going through the, the start of the year hard court swing or the U.S. hard court season that comes after Wimbledon or the, the, the Asian swing leading up to the tour finals. It's, it's basically being able to put together four or five strong tournaments in a row that you you look at Nadal this year and you go, okay, uh, Monte Carlo, Barcelona, uh, Madrid quarterfinals, uh, Rome win, and now we're expecting him to go deep in Roland Garros. And that's the sort of level that I think people – are ultimately hoping or expecting that the Djokovic will be able to compete at rather than win or compete in the finals of four or five tournaments a year they're they're hoping that he's he's there or thereabouts for somewhere between nine and twelve tournaments a year and we have to wait to see uh when he fits the piece back together to be able to do that. No, agree. It's, it, it has to be overall a cumulative effect of what he can, you know, produce uh, over you know stretch of say months, and then uh, you can, you know, not totally dismiss the Djokovic's back or not uh, topic. But yeah, I think you can just crown this topic on a weekly basis. So yeah, let's keep uh, track of Novak Djokovic's progress and how he uh, does in French Open, where he lands in the draw. Uh, let's switch to yeah. some of the other contenders. Uh, Sasha Zverev. I mean, I know we've talked offline a bit on Twitter regarding uh, Sasha, and you know he does polarize opinions, not because of his talent, but also because of some of the demeanor, some of his arrogance, which is young ar- arrogance. It's kind of good. It used to be uh, pretty present on the tour, like in the Becker McIndoe days, but in the Federer Nadal days, uh, this kind of arrogance is uh, not really liked. But Sasha is maturing in what I've seen, especially in the. And in the championship, uh, you know, speeches, the one in Madrid and the one today, he's definitely a different person. Uh, you think uh, his game is warming up to a lot of fans and uh, is his demeanor kind of holding him back in terms of popularity or that's something I think most fans this generation have to get used to it because we cannot just club everyone in the Federer Nadal, that, that personality type. Yeah, so, you know, every every player is individual and they've got their own style um, the first thing to say about Zverev is he's actually putting together a pretty solid run at the moment. So he was in the final at Miami. Um, 
Then he reached the semifinals in Monte Carlo. He won Madrid. Won Munich. And, you know, was on the cusp of, of, of beating Nadal uh, in today's match in Rome. So one of the things that, that I look out for in a young player is there's, there's something called a takeoff point, which is where a player who's been um, doing quite well but doesn't put a lot of back-to-back wins and finals together actually does that. Possibly the last person to do that was uh, Del Potro back in 2009. And unfortunately for him, injury then got in the way. And you know, we, you know Del Potro is still a player who can challenge the very best players but has never really settled at the, at, at the very top level of the game. So Zverev is, is by far the most promising uh, candidate to establish himself in the top ranks of the game. He'll go into uh, Paris as the number two seed, but he goes in as the number two seed who's never reached a quarterfinal in, in a slam and has put a lot of pressure on himself, I think, for that reason. The, one of the things about fans and appealing to people is that the more you win, kind of the more fans you tend to get. So so winning is, is potentially a cure for it. I'm not quite sure how much his, his attitude and approach to the game perhaps gets in the way of his really being able to to get the full flow of his talent. Uh, David Goffin apparently said after uh, the quarterfinal match that, you know, Zverev, you know, really was just out there looking out for number one. Um, I, I forget the exact quote, but Goffin didn't come across as, uh, as Zverev's biggest fan right now even, you know, granted that he, he'd gone down to defeat. Against Chilich yesterday um, in the tiebreaker, uh, Zverev had missed some set points, had um, had Chilich come back from full love and, and possibly was feeling under pressure, but, you know, went off at uh, Mohamed Leani over a, a baseline call at 8-all and ended up, you know, with uh, racket destruction. And then having won the set, uh, you know, made a, a kind of a patented gesture for, you know, I'd like the, the crowd to cheer for me now. And the, the, the Rome crowd wasn't really having much of it. I'd like to see him sort of kind of get out of, get out of this sort of sense of um, either I'm entitled to applause or I'm entitled to other decisions and, and just get on with hitting the tennis ball. No, I, I, I totally get it where you're coming from, and it's uh, not a very foreign view. And I'm sure this view was, you know, your view is consistent even in, in previous generations when some of the younger players, you know, uh, kind of acted that way, that they owned everything till they really have, you know, set claim uh, to the throne. But at the same time, I think uh, uh, to me, it's okay. Uh, I don't have to be a fan of this kind of behavior, but this is a killer instinct, the champion belief, the attitude sometimes we accuse, you know, Generation Krigor and those guys to be missing because that probably is one of the reasons. They were so much in awe of uh, the big three or big four. Uh, maybe Ranić excluded, but Nishikori and... Uh, uh, Dimitrov, uh, maybe lack the killer instinct. Uh, I, I know we've talked about this before, and we can switch to, uh, you know, a generation recap here. Uh, do, do you agree? Uh, 
what Zverev has is, is also an X factor but to what certain degree Nick Kyrgios also has. And maybe that was the missing, uh, there was a missing connection for Generation Grigor and some of those guys who were part of the Lost Boys Club. Yeah, it's hard to say that uh, certainly Shapovalov, who is even the next generation, what I call gen- Generation Felix, and then the the two strongest players of Generation Nick, which is Kyrgios himself and, and Zverev, whose results have have far uh, outstripped the the other players in his generation. You know, they they really are coming onto court with I don't care who you are. And um, you talked earlier, Sakib, about um, uh, Djokovic raising his game to take on Nadal or if he plays Federer, you know, raising his game there. One of the things that Kyrgios obviously does is uh, Kyrgios possibly finds it hard to guard on court number five against Steve Johnson or uh, Nikos Basilashvili, you know, to name two players who are, uh, you know, real professionals, but you know they're they're not going to pull the crowds in. But you put Kyrgios in front of Djokovic or Nadal or Federer, then watch out, he's he's coming for you. And same with Zverev, he um, you know famously yeah. biffed a volley on match point against Nadal at Indian Wells, and. He has wins over Federer, um, so he's yes, he's he, it's yeah okay. You won some trophies. I don't care. Um, you know, you got two arms and two legs, and I'm going to beat you. Uh, so yeah, quite possibly attitude is part of it. I think that when you look at guys like Raonic and uh, Dimitrov and Nishikori, I'm 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 not sure if they're if they're lacking attitude or competitiveness, um, the, you know, there would be a program in itself in terms of what these players bring to the game. I think it's, I think it's sad that, that we look at uh, Raonic is out of uh, Roland Garros, unfortunately, uh, with, with knee issues. Nishikori is making his way back from injury and uh, you know, did make the Monte Carlo final, but uh, you know really didn't trouble the dial too much. And I don't think we'd put Nishikori in the favourites, uh, the shortlist for Rome. Um, and Dimitrov himself, um, my goodness, he, he's had a horrible clay court season so far, I think. Uh you know, got to the semis against Nadal in Monte Carlo, but again, didn't really trouble Nadal too much. And then since then, you know, really has struggled. Um, and I I think he'll be the number four seed going into Roland Garros, but you, you, you can't really see anyone saying, boy, I hope I stay out of Grigor's quarter. Yeah, on that note, uh, what's uh, the report card looking for uh, most generation? And we can start with generation Grigor. It looks like, they didn't come out you know, with flying colors in this clay swing, did they? No, they didn't. I mean, they um, – so this this Rome tournament, you had them get as far as the, the quarterfinal stage, but then get eliminated um, in the quarterfinals. Uh, there, there were three generation Grigor players uh, – Goffin, Karenia Busta, and Nishikori, none of them made it to the semifinals. 
Um, when you look at their their tally, they got about half the number of points as uh, Generation Rafa. And then if you look at the uh, the number of players that that they had actually in the tournament, uh, they had 16 players. That's actually down from 2017 and and 2016. So no, it's not it, it it's not been a stellar season for them, and it, it really is looking increasingly likely that you'll see the the next wave of players bypass them in the next couple of years or so. Uh, let me bring Dominic Team into the conversation. I believe he's part of uh, Generation Grigo, is he? He is. Yep, he's uh, born in 1993, so he's he's one of the the last of that class. So to me, he's still again uh, till Sasha Zverev starts racking its slams and even you know uh, maybe start winning Roland Garros one day. I still think Team is one of the biggest challengers, and he remains one of the best hopes of. Uh, Generation Grigor, in my opinion, to land a major. And that's only at Roland Garros. Of course, Nadal still the most, uh, you know, strong uh, presence there. Uh, so what do you see of his uh, season? Uh, it was kind of a mixed season. He's coming back from an injury. Then he made quarterfinals in Monte Carlo, got dismissed in a very bad way by Nadal, even though he got the better of Djokovic on the way. And then we all know uh, what happened. And, you know, he lost to Tsitsipas in Barcelona. And then he made this great run the final, beating Nadal in Madrid. So where do you see him? He's, I think, entered in, in Lyon this week to get more matches. Uh, do you see him uh, turn turn the tables in Roland Garros? I mean, you think, we all know he has a game. Uh, what's your stock on? Uh... I don't know. I Maybe a couple of years ago, he was hitting this this really big one-handed backhand, and there's, you know, is it another baby fed? And nearly everybody said, no, he's not a, a baby fed. He's a baby Stan uh, for, for, for Stan Vavrinka. And, you know, possibly like Vavrinka, I'm not sure I'll, I will ever see Dominic team as a player who's, who's winning tournaments week in, week out, becoming a, a, a dominant uh, number one or number two player. Uh, but possibly like Stan, it could be that if he gets on a, if he gets on a run, then he becomes like a, a runaway locomotive and becomes extremely hard to stop. So if if team does make it to the semifinal stage and if he's um, potentially, if he's outside of Nadal's draw, um, could he make the final? Absolutely. Could he go out in the, in the round of 16? Absolutely. Uh, team is is what in uh, in financial circles you'd probably call a high volatility stock. Let's also you know keep a, keep track of how Dominic Team does next week, and uh, the draw would be out. Uh, he's definitely one of the guys that uh, is on most people's radar. But yeah, I like your analogy describing his uh, unpredictability. Uh, Dennis Shapovalov also made some strides in this play season after I think uh, fellow generation. Uh, Next are Stefano Tsitsipas uh, coming of age in the in Barcelona and, and Estoril. So how do you see that generation shaping up? Uh, because that generation is showing already a lot of promise. Yeah, so um, Shapovalov, I'm not sure that, that clay is ever going to be his, his best surface. Um, but this was the first season that he, he had some decent results there. 
I think he's he's pretty fearless, as we saw when he took on Nadal last year in Canada and made the run to the semifinals uh, before losing to Zverev there. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting to see either Tsitsipas or Shapovalov um, contending at the semi-final stage this year, uh, a couple of years from now, who knows? All right, so I think we covered quite a lot here, Andrew, and uh, Nadal's going to be number one tomorrow by the time I'll release this uh, podcast. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, and then, yeah, we should uh, compare notes on how some of these uh, some of these players perform when the draw, draw comes out and the show begins next Sunday. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I, I think that we're going through a really interesting period in ATP tennis. And, and when we look back, we'll either see it as a sort of a confirmation that the old guard, the Djokovic's and Nadal's on clay, and then as we get into, uh, you know, Wimbledon and the US Open, Federer comes back into the mix, it'll either be that 2018 you know, you, you banged your head in 2008 and when you woke up, it was just the same as before. Or we may see it as a, a the start of a real... Absolutely. We'll do this again, hopefully sometime very soon. Thanks.